passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It is John Pollock, and I'm going to uh, put my cards on the table. I'm always excited to talk to this individual. He graces us with his presence every so often. When I, when I put out that call once or twice a year to sit down and watch Raw, this is one of those times. Nate Milton is here with us from the NWA podcast and a host of others. Nate, how are you tonight? I am doing well, Brother Pollock. Uh, good to be back on these microphones with you, my friend. And, and here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Like John said, I don't do this often. You know, I don't, I don't give three hours of my Monday nights up for just anybody. But when John Pollock calls and say, Hey, I need a favor. I need, I need a beast. I need, I need a snake in the grass. I need somebody who puts metal in their lungs to help me <laughs> with this review. I said, John, I'm with you to the end of the line, pal. That you are you are the first person that uh, comes to mind when I when I think of uh, of lung health and um, you know <laughs> those precious metals that that are out there. Nate Milton is here with us, and uh, we we have lots to go over because uh, wrestling has uh, well at least WWE has uh, changed very significantly since the last time that we have talked and. Uh, we have, we have lots to talk about from uh, the show itself uh, proper because, uh, w- Nate, have you been watching uh, a lot of the programming since the uh, the overhaul with uh, Paul Levesque coming in? What sort of has been your, your viewing habits over the last couple of weeks? I've caught it when I can. You know, I usually watch Raw in truncated form. Uh, you know, I'll listen to the podcast and then say, okay, these are the segments I need to go back and rewatch. Um, or, you know, with SmackDown, you know, I'll probably get in from work around nine o'clock and check out the last hour of SmackDown while I'm kind of winding down and eating dinner. And I've noticed the last few weeks, the shows have had a bit more cohesion to them, I guess would be a good word, John. They feel a little bit more planned out. There's a little bit uh, different vibe to them. I'm not going to say they're great, but they're definitely better than they were, you know, two or three weeks ago. 
yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Some of the like the, the smaller changes, maybe if we can scope out some of the larger changes, if, if those are sort of uh, being fleshed out after a couple of weeks time. Uh, so all of that to come. Uh, but off the top, I do want to let everybody know about some of the highlights uh, this week on the site. Today, I just put up an interview with Brian Gewurz, the former head writer at WWE. A very enjoyable chat. He's got a new book out uh, on Tuesday, actually, this week. And uh, it, it's a very intriguing book when it comes to someone that was in that company for close to 16 years and pretty much saw it all in in those uh, years that, that he was there. So we spoke a lot about uh, coming into a very different WWE in 1999, his uh, acrimonious relationship at times with Paul Heyman, uh, the initial brand split in 2002, and when Heyman was assigned to SmackDown, Gewurz was uh, set up on, on Raw, still working under Vince McMahon, and Brian does talk about that, kind of writing for the audience versus writing for Vince McMahon. So uh, lots uh, there to uh, check out with uh, Brian Gewurz. And then this week, it is the end of the G1, so we are going to have podcasts up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for Post Wrestling Cafe members. Uh, a ton of great uh, shows coming your way. I will get into a mini rant in a minute about how uh, WWE has uh, done me dirty here. Um, let, let me get into it right now. So my Tuesday, Nate, was pretty mapped out, okay? I, I've been balancing a lot here, but I think I've been doing an okay job with it. And then today hits around 3.30 in the afternoon, and I get a WWE press release. And they have announced that their second quarter earnings report will be released on Tuesday, August 16th. And in my head, I'm just usually they'll send these out and it's like two weeks before they're going to do one of these earnings reports that they give you the notice. This one's been delayed, of course, with all the Vince uh, unreported expenses and redoing the, the financials. So I'm just thinking in my head, I was like, OK, next Tuesday. If you look at my tweet, I actually say they've announced next Tuesday, August 16th, they'll be releasing their quarterly earnings report. And then I'm realizing, wait a minute, today's the 15th. These earnings, the earnings are coming out Tuesday morning with a conference call at 8.30 in the morning. Ooh. This is usually a Thursday night at 5 o'clock conference call that they do. It's yeah. They're giving you less than a day's notice that they're going to have probably their most newsworthy conference call that they've ever had because of the scale of all of this news of late with Vince McMahon. So – my day now uh, to balance this G1 and now all of a sudden this earnings call that uh, just dropped on my lap. My my day will end in about two hours or so when I go to sleep at around one one thirty, And then I will be up at 5 a.m. to start this G1 show and mm. somehow do this earnings call. If I'm still standing by the end of the day, I'll be very proud of myself. But uh, we will have a G1 show Tuesday and I will have a show with Brandon Thurston uh, later in the day on Tuesday going over uh, that earnings report. So uh, that is all coming up this week. Uh, now, MCU- now, John, I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but. This feels to me like this was deliberate, you know. Kind oh, of it like was. It was. It was premeditated when, from Stanford. When news outlets drop a bunch of news on Friday, like the they figure people aren't going to be paying attention heading into the weekend. This feels like they're like, man, these these reporters ain't going to get up at eight o'clock in the morning for this call. Let's just slide it in, talk about all this stuff, and get on with our day. But John Pollock, ladies and gentlemen, is not your average newsman. John Pollock says, "I don't get ready. I stay ready. Eight o'clock, where you need me to be, Vince or." uh Nick or Hunter or whoever the hell's going to be on this damn call. Yeah, I think it's safe to say I, I, I don't I don't imagine we're going to get Vince's uh, couple words uh, on, on this call. <laughs> I, I, and, I don't uh, think so. I don't think ta- so. Let's hand it over to Nick. I mean, metaphorically, he has, but I, I don't think literally he will be saying that tomorrow. Um, 
Thursday, uh, MCU Later is going to be a free show this week with uh, WH Park and Rich and Melissa Fan, who will be on the show to go through episode one of She-Hulk. So this week, MCU Later will be a free show that's usually a a Patreon show. Uh, And that's the same day as The Wellness Policy with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan. That will be uh, live. And then into the weekend we go, UFC 278 post show Saturday night with Phil and I. And Sunday afternoon, going live on the post YouTube channel, will be... The NWA podcast with Nate Milton, Chris Ely, and Andrew Thompson. Always a highlight of the month for post listeners. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to it, man. Uh, going live from here on out. You know, you the speaking of Vince, you know, he kind of uh, premeditated our or predicated our show going live last month, and so you know we got a good response from the audience, and so we're gonna keep it going. Uh, so we will be live set, uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we'll give you an update. You know, pretty soon here about the exact time, but Sunday afternoon, myself, Moderna, Chris, the youngest in charge, maybe a guest. We're gonna be chopping up Ooh. all the biggest stories from this month. So, uh, NWA podcast, we are back and better than ever. There you go. It will be groovy on a Sunday afternoon th- this weekend. So check all of that out at uh, postwrestling.com. And it will be uh, four bonus shows this week at postwrestlingcafe.com. We appreciate all of your support for those that have been checking out uh, the G1 podcasts. And uh, they will be wrapping up this week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, new uh, G1 shows. But uh, a couple of news items before we get into Raw. And uh, just for good measure, WWE dropped their 10Q filing. This uh this is always they file these uh, in conjunction with with their earnings. So uh, we did get a sense of how the quarter is going to look um, for for the quarter. Obviously, very very strong. I mean, revenue of uh, just over three hundred twenty eight million dollars and net income for the quarter uh, just over forty nine million dollars. So uh, very solid in that sense. And we'll spend more time with Brandon, kind of breaking down a lot of the numbers. But um, as it was pointed out to me, uh, you know, if you do uh, you, you do the search in a large document and you just type in a word, if you type in investigation, it comes up 35 times in this 10Q filing, Nate. So we did get um, not, not a ton of information about the investigation that the independent members of the WWE's board is conducting, but we, we did get something here. Uh, they noted that uh, because of the special committee investigation, the company has suspended its stock repurchase program during during the the past uh, quarter so far they have spent 1.7 million dollars in general and administrative expenses associated with the investigation and stated while we currently anticipate spending approximately 10 million dollars during the remainder of the year related to this investigation and that the related costs could exceed this estimate that is to me an astounding figure that they have spent 1.7 million and expect yeah. another 10 if not more on this investigation and i know in the in the grand scope of things this is not uh this is not going to break wwe but like these are sizable when you're adding up uh, like all the new expenses that they're finding that that is now up to 19.6 million and now it's the cost about dealing with these unreported expenses that it is just amounting you know, financial uh, burden here that, you know, the, the WWE is shouldering here that I, I'm, I, I'm just amazed that it's, it's into this uh, amount that is being spent on, on this investigation. And if this is kind of par for the course, I, w- I would imagine for uh, an investigation of this scale that they have um, uh, signed up for. Yeah. As, as you said, John, in the grand scheme of things for the company, this is kind of a drop in the bucket, you know, going off of what they're bringing in, but, 
Ten million dollars is ten million dollars, man. I don't care who you are. Ten million dollars is ten million dollars, especially when it's money that could have easily have not been spent had somebody been acting in the proper way. You know As a I mean? shareholder, like, you're you're still livid about this, that this is money that did not have to be allocated towards exactly. an investigation that should not have been happening. It's like you like this is just a, you know, um, yeah, it, it's money that y- you can't be happy is, is being spent on all of this. But it's yeah. it's, it's an astounding figure uh, regardless. So, um, yeah, the the investigation is, is still ongoing and uh they did note that it is substantially complete. So I, I don't know that that feels like a very specific term they have used. But mm-hmm. while saying it's substantially complete, they're also estimating a lot more spending on this investigation. So mm-hmm. we will see when it wraps up. And are, are you expecting like the, the findings of this investigation to be fairly transparent? Like for, for all you want to say, this this is a real investigation that this yeah. company is conducting. They are using a very legitimate firm uh, to to head this thing up, and uh, the the findings like it's it's still like a lot of kind of connecting the dots of what got from the information to the funds to the eventual resignation. Like what 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 connects all of these things? I think the findings will be transparent to those who are seeking the findings. I don't think this is something that they are going to be forthcoming about, though, if you if you understand what I'm saying, John. Like, this isn't something they want out there. Like, I think they would be more than happy to complete this investigation and, you know, find out what needs to be found out and let the public move on to the next topic. Uh, but I, I do, much like you, I do feel like this is not just a kind of dog and pony show. This isn't a sham. It feels like there's some actual weight behind the investigation here uh we move on over to wrestlemania next year at sofi stadium two nights and uh, WrestleTix has just put out um the early figures after last week's on sale and for the first night uh they have forty eight thousand seven hundred eighty two tickets out and the second night forty nine thousand four forty three uh which are very strong figures nate like they are this WrestleMania is going to do very well when we're talking about this level of tickets gone uh, in just a couple of days time when you combine like the pre-sales with the uh, the mm-hmm. official on sale on Friday. And here we are in the middle of August talking about two shows in April. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me, John. A, WrestleMania as a brand is always going to sell. But B, this is kind of even though we had fans last year, this fee or this year, this feels kind of like we're back. You know, and it's in a destination city in Los Angeles. And, you know, hopefully I'll be out there. But what I would say, what I would say to, to the folks out there, man, anything can happen. Like we, we, we dealing with monkeypox now, John. Who knows where the hell oh. we'll be, you know, next spring. Don't you know, say in, it, Nate. In terms of what's going on in the world. So you, these are very promising signs for the WWE for these WrestleMania ticket sales. But I have not purchased my tickets yet. Because I'm, you know, I'm I'm gonna wait till like December, John, January. See, see, we see how the world is, you know, when when we getting close to Mania. I I feel Nate would have the uh, the open invite to be in that ESPN private box. I think I think you'll be taken care of. I I think if if you uh if you so Just choose to go. Me and Stephen go. A. Smith watching WrestleMania. Oh my goodness! There you go. That's our post show that night. <laughs> if if Nate goes to WrestleMania. I think I'll have to make the trip. I, I might have to. That yes, might be the clincher, yes. uh, Mr. Milton. Uh, 
ratings from Friday night. Uh, SmackDown did a million nine hundred twenty seven thousand viewers down eight percent from the previous week. And they were down 10 percent in the demo doing a point four four also down 16 percent among 18 to 34. Uh, despite those drops and these were their lowest numbers since June. Uh, this was still the number one show on television. So, I mean, yeah, so, some declines and it's it, it's sort of SmackDown is certainly I, I don't think felt really the, the bounce effect that that Raw has to, to a degree since since SummerSlam. Um, but they are building up for, you know, a notable segment with Roman Reigns this Friday. And I mean, again, it is still finishing first among all programming. So it's it's still in a a very good uh, position. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they they're wor- too worried about it. You know, I think that for me, and this this is maybe more so a thing for Raw that I'm always thinking about this time of year as we're getting into college football season and you know pro football season. And in some places, in some towns, like even high school football season can be enough to draw people away from their TV screens. I'm wondering how the WWE is going to look once football's kind of in full gear in the next few weeks. Yeah, and that's also a great point because the uh, the NFL preseason there were two games on Friday night, and in a, uh, several markets, uh, SmackDown was preempted on mm-hmm. Friday night. So th- there was also that factor going on. Rampage, on the other hand, they had their best numbers since April, uh, an increase of thirteen percent in viewership, up to five hundred twenty-eight thousand, and a point one seven in the eighteen to forty-nine demo, which was also up thirteen percent. And um, you know some. Uh, a nice uh, bump up. Apparently they, they had like a very good lead in. You had the Brian Danielson segment off the top as well. And I do think that's something for Rampage is not just good wrestling matches, but also kind of newsworthy elements as well. Like having yeah. Danielson, who he's only been off since the Garcia match a few weeks ago, but having him come out to do the promo on Rampage instead of Dynamite, it, it gave a extra bit of oomph for Rampage that there was something noteworthy happening on the show. Is Rampage a show that you are catching regularly or does it <laughs> sort of depend uh, what your schedule is? I actually catch Rampage more regularly than I do Dynamite just because, like I said, you know, I watch SmackDown when I get in from work. And as part of that decompression process, you know, I'll flip over after uh, SmackDown's over and catch the last five minutes of Money Train or The Accountant or, you know, uh, some random movie. And then I'll watch Rampage. And that's kind of my lead into my the rest of my night. And so I think rampage for a few months john kind of felt like it was kind of in a holding pattern i mm-hmm. i think they're starting to crystallize and 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 give me give me more things to look forward to as a viewer like i think the uh sunny kiss deal that they did this past week like right i don't know how they're gonna pay it off or you know how they're gonna move it forward but just the turn i'm like okay finally they're doing something with sunny and this could be interesting so i'll tune in next week on being the elite today, the uh, the most noteworthy um, point they focused on the segment backstage last week on Dynamite with the Young Bucks approaching Hangman Page and then being turned down for the trios tournament. And at the end of it, you have uh, Matt Jackson who is kind of all disheveled uh, at his home, and he picks up the phone. It's a mysterious caller, and. Matt Jackson is asking him if he is sure and if he's ready. And you hear just uh, just the beginning of a battle cry, Omega's uh, theme. So it's kind of the AEW. We're telling you without telling you what's happening on Wednesday that it uh, looks to be Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks against uh, Dragon Lee, Roosh, and Andrade. And I, I don't know if people had this uh, peg that you would 
What, what do you think about the, this type of promotion where they're not hitting you over the head that it's Kenny Omega, but you're certainly led in that direction to expect the big surprise? And this is a company that when they do lead you, it's not to swerve you or let you down either. I think they do have that trust when it comes to teasing something big and delivering what you want. Just finishing off uh, some of the news items. So NXT is going to be taking place on Tuesday night with their Heat Wave special. And that is going to include the main event between Braun Breaker and JD McDonough. And then we are going to have Carmelo Hayes and Giovanni Vinci, Mandy Rose against Zoe Stark for the women's title, and then Cora Jade against Roxanne Perez and Santos Escobar against Tony D'Angelo happening Tuesday night. That was your news. So everyone yeah. is now caught up to date. We've got Heat Wave on Tuesday night, and we've got a whole episode of Raw to discuss taking place tonight from Washington, D.C. Mm. at the Capital One Center. And uh, the site of the very first episode of Dynamite, by the way, back in uh, 2019, yes. the, the Capital Andrew One. Andrew Thompson ar- stomping grounds. That's right. Capital One Arena, not center. So um, we opened up the show. Um, very healthy crowd. Uh, Russell Tick's noting uh, – just over 8,700 people, and it looked like a very, very strong crowd that they had here in the venue. Uh, the Judgment Day are out at the beginning, and Rhea Ripley says she has proven that she is Dom's poppy and destroyed Dominic's soul. Finn explains that he doesn't understand why everyone loves the Mysterios and that they are not going to be here tonight. And then Priest takes uh, the mic, and he previews his match with Edge next week and asks if everyone wants to see Edge. They all cheer, and you know where this is going. He's not here tonight either. He's in Toronto promoting Raw. So uh, doing uh, uh, up here, doing uh, doing the legwork for uh, next, next week's show. And so... Uh, he explains there will be no judgment day in his corner. It will be a one-on-one match. He's going to put Edge uh, back into retirement. Only this time, his retirement will be in a wheelchair, and he's going to be fed through a tube for the rest of his life. And with that, Ray shows up, and he attacks Priest and Finn. They try to bring a chair in, and it's Rhea who is goading Ray to hit her, and Ray is not going to hit a woman. And Rhea eventually blocks Finn to prevent a chair shot. As Priest drops Ray, they get the numbers advantage. Rhea DDTs Ray on onto the chair and it ends with a coup de grace by Finn Balor on top of Ray with a chair placed on his chest. And uh, Ray is laid out here with uh, no backup from Edge or his son, Dominic, who Dominic's just gone missing. Mm. So I caught this late. So I, you know, I got back to the house about eight 30 and, you know, had to kind of catch up. Uh, and this, this segment, I, I don't know what it is, John, because I feel like, the Judgment Day story got bungled almost immediately, but they're doing a decent enough job, I think, of trying to salvage it. Um, I think the injection of the Mysterios into this story uh, has given it a little bit of life. Like I, I personally uh, enjoyed seeing Rhea uh, Molly Wop Dom every week. Like that just was a personal spot of comedy for me. Uh, and then bringing Edge back, and you've got that history with Edge and Ray. I dig it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where you go with it though, because I don't know. Once we wrap this chapter up, are we going to end up elevating uh, Priest and Rhea from this? Because I think that's ultimately what you want to happen through this. You know, Finn's a made guy already, but are the other two going to be elevated through this story? 
Yeah, and I would say the other, maybe the central focus is Dominic and where he ends up mm-hmm. in all of this. He, if he goes with the Judgment Day, if this is all misdirection and he realigns himself with Ray, but I think this is much about uh, Dominic as well. And it's a very big match for Priest next week. Like they pretty much set it up. There's not going to be any run-ins and stuff, and they're probably, you know, based on what these main events are getting, that's that's going to get your 20 minutes next week in Toronto. So it's it's a huge match for Damian Priest. I would say his biggest uh, in. in WWE to this point, along with the Bad Bunny match, I would say, in in terms of uh, attention on it. But this is a a very big match for this character that's sort of been all over the place during this Judgment Day run. Uh, Asuka and Alexa Bliss took on Nikki Ash and Dewdrop in the continuation of the women's tag title tournament. Bianca Belair is out there to be in Asuka and Bliss's corner. And Nikki walks out with a leather jacket instead of her cape. And this is a gift from Dewdrop. And maybe she'll never find that cape again. Uh, Dewdrop uh, attacks with an avalanche to Bliss into the poster in the break. And the heels take control. And we have all four down after Dewdrop uh, runs to Bliss. And Dane and Tamina are watching in the back. There's a big spinning back fist by Asuka. Drops Dewdrop, who responds to the Michinoku driver. Crowd's getting into this, and then Dewdrop misses with a Vader bomb. Bliss is in with the DDT, code breaker from Asuka, and she applies the arm breaker as Bliss takes Nikki out, and Dewdrop submits to the arm bar in nine minutes as Belair celebrates with the winners, and now Bliss and Asuka advance to face Kai and Sky next week in Toronto. Yeah, there's a decent little match here, John. Like, I think that that's something I have noticed, you know, over the past couple weeks is it feels like, the women have been getting more time uh, in these segments, and there's a little bit more focus and clear direction in the booking of these women. Uh, so I dug it. I thought, you know, it was no surprise to me who was going to win this thing, but uh, it, it was a good little showing. And I think, uh, you know, having Bailey and Sky and and uh, Kai injected into this has increase my interest in this, you know, because honestly, after uh, Naomi and Sasha left, like this division was was DOA. And now it feels like, OK, we we might have a little something here. Is that the big moment at the end of this tournament? The the champions are, are crowned and outwalk Naomi and Sasha for the big return. And we have maybe four belts in the air. And that's uh, that's how we, we end the tournament with the big face off. That's how I do it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not your man Triple H on these streets, but that's how I would do it. Uh, because yes, I think the people that know, you know, that kind of know, uh, the story of, of their departure, they want that moment. They want to see Naomi and Sasha vindicated. And the people that don't know, they'll just be like, Oh wow, this is a really cool moment. So I think, you know, it's a win-win if you tell the story that way. Uh, Bailey, Sky, and Kai come out and they have a face off at the entrance, and then the officials get in between to break them up. In the back, Kevin Patrick is with the returning Theory, who we have not seen since SummerSlam. And Kevin Patrick notes it was a less than successful Money in the Bank cash in attempt. And Theory just explains he made a slight miscalculation. He's tougher and more dangerous now. And he gets approached by Dolph Ziggler, who says that. Unlike Theory, he earned the contract, and it mattered when he cashed in and won the title. Theory responds, calling him an over-the-hill has-been, and I'm not going to screw up my career like you did. And then drops uh, Ziggler drops Theory, and they get into this big pull-apart. And this would actually culminate as the main event on the show, which... It was interesting how they set this up because they didn't make a whole big deal out of it. And it almost seems like that 
end of the third hour was just left with, well, what's going to close the show? And then this match came came about, and you found out as they were walking out to the ring. Unless I missed on commentary them plugging this because it seemed like they just kind of let it hang. Yeah, to me, and you know, again, like I have not been watching these shows as intently as you away uh, for the past uh, few weeks, but I didn't realize Theory hadn't been back since SummerSlam, mm-hmm. and so it didn't feel like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. To me, the main event from the presentation of the show that we watched, John, was the U.S. title match. Definitely. And this felt like, okay, like, I I can see this, you know, being a, a decent little one-off kind of feud here with uh, Theory and uh, uh, Ziggler. But, yeah, like, it, it, it wasn't the main event for me, but I, I get what they were trying to go for here. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the patterns, I mean, putting your biggest match or segment at the end of the show, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you see like what it's almost without fail, the, the drop off you have in the third hour that, you know, you, you kind of position it as, you know, putting that biggest match around that that area as they did tonight with AJ and Bobby Lashley. Sarah Schreiber interviews The Miz and Ciampa. They discuss the match Ciampa had with Lashley last week, and Miz blames Styles for Ciampa not becoming champion. Now, AJ suddenly gets a title match, so he senses uh, a conspiracy, and he hands Ciampa a necklace with a photo of the two together, and there are two of these made for Miz and Ciampa. So they had a tag match against the returning Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali, who were paired together, and they're getting their... Uh, renewed life here on Raw. Miz hits uh, Alexander from the floor, and Alexander goes for a handspring off the ropes. That's stopped with a sliding dropkick. So Ciampa and Miz, they are on the apron and do the, the clap deal as Miz is playing the role of Timothy Thatcher, which was a sentence I didn't think I would say this year. <laughs> Alexander then tags Ali after several minutes. We see Ciampa rescuing Miz, putting the foot on the rope, and then Ali hits a tope suicida to Ciampa, who flies over the desk, and it comes down to Ali landing a super kick on Miz. He climbs to the top for a 450 splash and in midair as he's coming down Ciampa lands a sliding knee and they showed the replay of this where they timed this out pretty well um, and nails him with the knee and follows with the fairy tale ending to win the match in 933 really creative finish that they had um, and j- just this is kind of a pattern that you are seeing like a lot more leeway when it comes to near falls and and mapping out some really intriguing finishes that you saw with, with Ciampa last week and uh, c- continued here. So and some FaceTime for Cedric Alexander, who has really just been uh, an afterthought since the Hurt Business uh, met its demise. I really like this match, John. Like I thought, you know. Even knowing that, you know, this whole segment is set up for Ciampa and Miz, there were points in this match where I was like, is Cedric and, and, and Ali, are they going to take this? They they got me to believe, even if for a second, John. And so, yeah, I think it was a – I've noticed the matches have been longer and they seem to be telling better stories uh, in ring, bell to bell. And you're you're putting a focus on a guy like Cedric who everybody knows, like this dude can wrestle. Like that's – not a secret. Like we've known this man can wrestle for years before he even got to this company. We've known this dude could wrestle, but he just has really outside of the hurt business. And maybe, you know, the two Oh five live days hasn't been put in a position to be showcased. And even though he lost here, I thought it was a good little showcase for Ali and Cedric. 
Do you think for the fan base at large, when it comes to some of these, for lack of a better term, rehabilitation projects like an Ali or a Cedric Alexander, like sometimes it's very tough when you're positioned at a certain level for so long to, to be able to break out of that and you're, you're a large amount of the fans to really get behind a guy in a meaningful way. And, and do you see that as being a, an achievable task for, you know, several talents on the roster who have just been, you know, mishandled or just, right. you know, out of sight, out of mind for so long? It's certainly difficult. You know, it's certainly difficult. We, you know, you, you talked about Dolph Ziggler earlier. You know, that was kind of the story of his career for a while. Like there was a point where the fans were just kind of like, nah, nah, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. You, you can't get fooled again, John Pollock. Fool you know, me 14th time. I don't think Dolph. <laughs> I'm done, Dolph. I'm Dolph. <laughs> like, nah, you didn't cry wolf too many times. But I, I think it can be done. It's just got to take time. You know, this is, I, I, I talk about this all the time, John. We've had this conversation. Like, this is wrestling, man. If you can make a dude that was like supposed to be a zombie mortician, one of the greatest stars in the history of your company who is believable as a badass, you can do anything. And so you can do it. The question is, do you want to take the time uh, to invest in these characters, to invest in these performers and, you know, reeducate the fans? And I think as opposed to, you know, maybe the previous regime, Triple H is somebody who might be a little bit more open to, Let's give this guy another shot and see if he catches on. Jimmy Smith then gives us an update on Ezekiel after the attack by Kevin Owens last week, noting that he went to a hospital, not familiar with this uh, type Mm. of building, Mm. with multiple injuries, and he will be gone for a long time. And we see a photo of Ezekiel's photoshopped family around the hospital bed, and we hear from Ernie Jr., (laughs) Ezekiel's father, who says that Kevin Owens is going to get a piece of his mind. So Ernie appears to be coming to Raw. I wonder if he has his passport and can come to Toronto. Yes. This is dumb as hell, John, but I can't lie. I laughed. Like, I, I, it got a chuckle out of me seeing uh, Ernie Jr., uh, Papa, Papa Ernie, uh, coming to uh, defend his son's honor. The fact they're just going with all the ease, that to me is uh, what, what I enjoy <laughs> about the, the family dynamic here. So, yeah, it looks like... The Ezekiel character will be interesting to see. Like there is, I think some positives that this character got because the Elias character to me had kind of run its course. Mm. Ezekiel maybe is not, um, wasn't the most ideal character, but this guy certainly got into it and I, and he was blessed by having an opponent in Kevin Owens that was so committed to getting this thing over. And, and I think they did overachieve what, what that feud very well could have been written off as just uh, a nothing part of the, of the show. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the long term is for, for this Ezekiel character as it stands. Uh, Drew is walking in the back area and he goes by this garbage can that is being put out with a fire extinguisher in, in the background. Uh, the new Raw, Nate, you have to be watching what's going on in the background. That's uh, a new so uh, did, trip. I had a question about that, John, because I, I saw that. And two two things like, A, is this something that's been happening in previous weeks and B did, did we ever get any resolution on that fire? Unless I missed something and I could have, I didn't sense there was any payoff to this other than maybe Dexter Loomis was lighting stuff on fire backstage. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I like the idea of, of planting things on the show that you're supposed to pick up on and, mm-hmm. It's it's such a departure from the usual WWE. They will not let anything slip by without you being 
absolutely brought up to speed uh, about it. So it's yeah. it's a different way to go about things. Um, as long say, as there's a payoff to them. Like I think I noticed this on SmackDown. I think this past week, like sometimes they'll do the transitions and they're doing that more frequently, where you'll have a a, a segment or an interview and then the camera follows you to another segment or interview without cutting. Right. I, I do like that. Wale is in the crowd, and then they plug the uh, the launch party for WrestleMania last week. Drew is out, and he cuts a promo about going to Wales to drop Roman's ass, and then he's going to show up on all the shows because that's what the titles deserve. He's going to work house shows with the belt, Nate. That's what it deserves. And he mentions the reports that are out there of his back injury and states the reports are true. He, gives, uh, he, he should have given a shout-out here to Jason Powell, and he has mainly – been carrying the load of 20 men over the past three years to give him this back injury, but he's not complaining. It's a privilege, and it's not a job. It's his dream. That's why I'm here on my day off. And he lists off potential matches he can have as champion against Ciampa, AJ, Rollins, Karrion Cross, and then Kevin Owens interrupts. And Drew, he says, is pretending to be something he's not with his comical tough guy voice. Sometimes you come out in a kilt, sometimes a sword. What is this medieval times? And says that he's a real dumbass if you think you can carry anyone's weight. I'm Kevin Owens. I'm as real as it gets in this business. I know who I am. And some people may have forgotten. And part of that's my fault for just coming here to work and having too much fun. But we're in the same arena where me and Sami Zayn had our match at Battleground six years ago that people still come up and talk to me about. And it's a side of me that's been missing for too long. Some people want to see the prize fighter, Kevin Owens. I haven't held a belt in five years. Enough is enough. And it's time for a change. And what was great about the timing of this is there was legit a guy in the front row facing the hard camera with an Owen 316 shirt on as he dropped this Owen line. And he's coming after every champion, including the winner of Reigns or Drew. Drew comes back and he's tired of people saying false statements just to get a reaction. People called me the chosen one. That was 15 years ago. And then I got fired. This company called me to come back and I worked my ass off. I beat Brock. I beat Goldberg. I beat Orton. And no one will tell me I haven't earned it. We are wrestlers inside of a wrestling ring. So let's just wrestle. (laughs) This was, I thought the censors were going to be uh, after him in, a, in another uh, re- regime here. I thought this was so refreshing. It felt like two guys who just came out and it was like maybe they had a sense of where they were going to be going. But it was you're going out there and you're building up to an impromptu match and they just riffed off one another. It felt like the emotion was evident by both guys. It was like each was feeding off the other to elevate their their promo. And I thought this was great. This is what. I want to see more of on the program is just real emotion promos that do not feel like they were carefully crafted and working in specific language that is uh, approved. It just felt like two guys cutting promos on each other. Yeah. I loved it, man. Like I thought that, you know, the, the best stories have a little bit of truth in them. Right. And then you just kind of expound on that. And so like a lot of what KO was saying, you're like, yeah, this dude, this dude has been living this, you know, this is something that is, is genuine to him. Even if we, you know, we're going to turn the volume up same with drew, you know? Uh, and so I, I thought it was a great way to set things up. Um, I think this is kind of where the, like, not that the crowd was kind of quiet, but I think this is where the crowd was like, okay, we're here. We're invested in this. From this point on, I think the, there was a different level of energy from the crowd. 
Uh, you know, I know you're going to talk about the match, but I thought everything from KO walking out till the end of the match was just spot on for me. Very strong stuff. And then they go into this match, which was a, a tremendous match. And Drew, uh, we got, we had, uh, crotch chops in this match. Mm-hmm. And they're just like going all out here to have like as spectacular a match on TV as they can have, uh, n- knowing that we were going to have to compromise on, on a finish. So some of the highlights included a Drew in the tree of woe and Owens landing a cannonball. He, uh, went for a swanton onto Drew getting a two count. Drew came back with a white noise off the middle turnbuckle for a near fall, stops the claymore. The stunner gets blocked and Owens lands a super kick. Drew comes back with a lariat and both men go down. The audience is really into this. They do the, uh, the fried Takayama exchange crowd is loving that. And then Owens goes for the pop-up it's countered and drew lands the future shock DDT. And as he sets up for the claymore, the Usos grab Drew and they've got the camera in tight on Drew in the corner. So to, to cut them out of the, the frame and the DQ is called at 14 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, one of those finishes that you just kind of groan at, but I, I'm not going to be negative on this. I thought this match was great. I thought the promo segment was awesome and they had a really great match. But as I've said, uh, Paul Levesque is not going to be a uh, giant Baba in 1990 and we're going to straight clean finishes. Like you're still going to have these types of finishes uh, on TV, but. But it, it was a hell of a match up until yeah. the, the ending here. And they clearly, I mean, it makes no sense to beat Drew. And it looks like Owens, they, they want to protect too. So you did get a great match out of it. Yeah, really, really strong TV match. And, you know, both guys come out of this looking like a million bucks. You know, if you had asked me before tonight, John, like, hey, Nate, can I, can I interest you in a Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre feud? I've been like, nah, I'm, I'm good, John. But after seeing this, I think between the promos and then the physicality that we got, yeah, they, they could be on to something here, you know, particularly after uh, Roman loses, uh, Drew loses to Roman, because we all know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, spoiler alert, Roman ain't dropping that belt anytime soon. So I think, uh, you know, they're doing a great job of kind of reinvigorating the Kevin Owens character. And I think him and Drew, you know, for, for a, a nice little prolonged feud could be interesting. Yeah, it's... um. I think of a lot of the different acts that you look at. Like, I feel Kevin Owens could be one that is benefits as greatly as anybody. Like, I think this guy, uh, left to his devices, um, his promos are just a plus level. And I feel that this is somebody that can really, um, be a significant, significant player uh, in, in this company with that kind of uh, direction and seeing him as not just the utility player that we can put in any feud and he'll make it work, but a guy that we have a concerted effort to mm-hmm. to build things around at, at a high level. So I'm very curious to see what his next couple of months uh, reflect. After after that, we had a continual attack from the Usos as they superkick Drew. The Uso splash misses, and Drew goes to clothesline Jimmy over the clo- over the top, and and this was not happening. So Jimmy had to just duck under the bottom rope and get out. And then Drew back body drops Jay, who comes crashing down on his brother on the floor. A uh, quite the landing, and then Owen stuns McIntyre and tells the Usos to tell your tribal chief that he owes me one. And the Usos come back for the one D, but. Drew fights them off with a Glasgow kiss and Clay- and the Claymore uh, to stand tall. And he's going to be having a face-to-face segment with Roman Reigns on Friday in Montreal. How do you feel Drew has been heated up? He's going for the title in a couple of weeks' time with, with Roman Reigns. And, mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's a part of me who I cannot fathom them beating Drew in that setting. Um, 
But 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 are you feeling like he is at a level where people buy him as a challenger for for Roman Reigns? And and, and do you see a possibility of a title change? I think there's a very small circle of people who fans buy as legit uh, contenders for Roman. Uh, and it's not the fault of the performance. It's the fault of the people that have been telling the stories for the last year or so, John. But I think Drew's in that mix. Is he gonna, is he gonna do it? No. Like, like, no. Like Roman, we talked about WrestleMania in Hollywood, John. Like that's, that's the end game. That's, you know, I, I'm Dr. Strange. I look through all the possibilities and there's only one. And that's Roman Reigns walking into WrestleMania with the belt. Not saying he'll walk out with the belt, but. That, that they're not going to defer too far from that path. That being said, they're making Drew look like a Superman here. It's the kind of the classic, uh, and, and I'm biased because it's my guy, John, but it's kind of like when Sting would go up against the NWO and he just beat up like 20 dudes because we're heating him up for Hogan. And it, this was this felt very much the same thing. Like Drew looked like a million bucks. And if I didn't know that they weren't going to do anything with Roman in terms of moving the belt off of him, I would believe it. I'd be like, this is the perfect setup. Drew in his home country. He's going to do it. But but no, John. I, I just had a birthday, John. I'm a grown-ass man. You can't tell me these fairy tales and expect me to buy them. Follow that yellow brick road. But that being said, this is a great setup for, uh, for the match. Because I, I really wasn't excited for it, to be honest. But after... You know, seeing the what they did with Drew tonight and what I'm assuming they're going to do on Friday. I'm like, OK, this could be kind of cool. I thought this uh, of the couple of weeks since they've had to start building this match and really get Drew into a prime position. I think tonight was the most significant for him. Mainly like it was a great match, but th- this guy has had a lot of great quality matches. Yeah. The, the promo uh, segment to me was as beneficial as anything tonight as well. So uh, but both guys were two of the standout performers on Raw tonight. Seth Rollins comes out and he believes that Riddle is in his mom's basement and is going to be announcing his retirement. And Riddle appears on the screen. He has a medical update, and that is he is medically cleared. So the next time he sees Rollins, it's on. And then Rollins brings up the stomp attack at Madison Square Garden and SummerSlam. Whenever Riddle has gotten close to him, he's been laid out. And he wishes Riddle was here so he could stomp the last few brain cells out of his head. And much like uh, Kevin Nash popping up from that wheelchair with the cast to reveal that he is uh, fine, Riddle just shows up and it's it's a fake set backstage and he's here in Washington, makes his way out and they get into a big brawl ringside. Riddle uh, avoids a stomp and then they, they go around the ring and it looks like Riddle is going to take another stomp after he's yanked off the apron, but then he moves and he decks Rollins with a knee and chases him out through the crowd. Later in the show, he would issue the challenge and that has been added to Clash at the Castle as expected. Good little segment. Like it was telegraphed from a mile away uh, that Riddle was in the building, but I did kind of like the reveal of him just kind of stepping off of the set and is like, "I'm here." Um, good, good, good fire from Riddle. Uh, I, I've really been enjoying Seth Rollins though. Uh, ever since the Cody feud, the Cody Devontae Rhodes feud, John. Like I've really been enjoying this wacky Seth and. Uh, yeah, I think those two are going to have a good little, good little match. Like they can't have a bad match. I don't think it's possible for those two guys to be in a ring together and have a bad match. So it'll be fun. No, and I, I didn't really have an issue with like pulling it from SummerSlam. If the idea was we're going to do the match again in a month and we got to do some finish to get our way out of it. I mean, you just did that big 
injury angle on the go home raw to come back with a match on the Sunday or, or Saturday rather. Um, like I really didn't have an issue with just going the angle route with that and save it so that you can do the big match once at, at clash at the castle instead of doing, you know, a multiple series of them along the way. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards. As we know it, if you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, we had a video for Styles and Lashley, and they're building this up, the fact that they have never crossed paths. And, in fact, they have never – they have had tag matches together, but never a singles match, which is kind of amazing when when you think about it. Not not when uh, Bobby had uh, Crystal Marshall by his side in TNA, and not over these last couple of years either when both have been here in uh, WWE. I mean, you, 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 you jest, John Pollock. You, you joke, but – this show, the fiber of this episode of Raw that we watched tonight, was forged in TNA. Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles. That is the foundation of this episode that we just watched, and we owe it all to Dixie Carter. Uh, it should have been Bobby Roode fighting theory then. Yes. Get the, get the full the full in inclusion. Uh, then we had the return of Veer Mahan, who's also been off for some time, against Bo Keller and... Uh, Keller was great here. He's just smiling. He's running away from Veer and does get a drop kick in on, on Veer. Uh, Corey gets in a darkness reference, uh, on, on Keller and then Veer gets a hold of him, throws him around the ring, running avalanche, million dollar arm, which dude, that should be the guy's finisher is this million dollar arm. I mean, it's what he's most known for. It looks cool, cool. And to me, a, a much me- a more devastating finish than this cervical clutch, um, as he tapped him out in a minute 51. Yeah, you know, just another squash match. But I do like, like, I like it when the jobbers get a, a tad bit of offense or they're able to outsmart the, the monster for at least a little bit. So, uh, this, 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 this jobber did his job. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, I, again, I didn't know Veer Mahan hadn't been on the show all these weeks, John. And he's pretty much doing the same thing he was doing the last time you and I talked about Veer Mahan. He, he has not made a whole lot of progress when you look back to the fact that he was first he had those coming to Raws for months and months yes. from the from the draft up until the night after Mania. Like, think about that. That was like an October to April. He's coming to Raw uh, gag that they had running. And it's been very little like he had a like a brief program with the Mysterios. But, you know, he's a character that I can certainly see just getting retooled because um, I, I just don't know how much like this guy has not grabbed um people's attention by just doing the annihilate the enhancement talent route that he's been pretty much been doing for most of his time here on the main roster. And I'd say he's a character that I don't know how many people would have even noticed had been gone for, you know, several weeks. Schreiber is with Dakota Kai. It's uh, her first singles match on Raw tonight. She's going to win, she says. And then they approach uh, Dana Brooke, who is there holding her 24-7 title. She's not afraid. Kai says that fear is a motivating factor. Maybe you should be a little scared. And I love the running joke that no one wants this 24-7 title, so it's not defended in any of these matches. It's just Dana's permanent belt until she finds a challenger. Yeah, and I, Dana did get off the good line, uh, at least decent line. I don't want to 
give it too much praise of I'm the 24 seven champion, which means I have to be ready all the time or something to that effect. I'm like, okay, I, there's at least some logic behind this nonsense, but yes, we, we knew what you were here to do uh, tonight, Dana. This, this, this wasn't going to be your night. So, uh, yes, I, I am loving the Bailey Kai sky group though. Like I think it needs a uh, name. It, it needs a it, name. Then Bailey Kai and sky. But that's like uh, it's given this division a, uh, an injection of life that I think once you got past Oscar, Bianca, and Becky, everybody else just kind of felt like they were there. Yeah, and with this show, I think it really fills a void with with Becky gone unexpectedly d- due to an injury. So I think like they sort of have to pivot from that, losing not just uh, perhaps you know your top woman, if not number two on Raw, and on top of that, you had just made the plan for the big baby face turn for Becky. So they, they had lots at their disposal. And then unfortunately uh, she got hurt. So um, they're in a prime position. The, the three of them, Bobby Lashley against AJ Styles for the United States title. And I do like this trend that we are seeing emerging where it's, when there is a title match on TV, they build it up throughout the show. They have video packages, and the announcers make it feel really important. And I thought that was the case here. Uh, last week, it was tying Ciampa to Harley Race. This week, it was two guys that have just never had a singles match together. And they tried to sell this as a dream match. And this audience got into it. And I, I've got to say, I thought it was like a really strong presentation of your United States championship, which continues that trend of trying to elevate the secondary belt as well yeah like and i think that's something that um the audience is kind of taken for granted the last five ten years maybe john is title matches used to be special even on tv you know even if it wasn't a pay-per-view like it should mean something and you know there should be a little bit more extra pomp and circumstance should be a little extra razzle dazzle thrown on top of a title match on tv and the u.s and ic belts have been so devalued lately that it's good to see the kind of this focus back on them and yeah this to me other than drew and uh ko this whole thing surrounding aj and bobby was my uh, highlight of the night yeah um so lashley works over the lower back of aj aj selling was uh tremendous uh throughout this uh styles gets irish whipped uh, back first underneath the bottom turnbuckle into the post and he just continued to sell this throughout the match and Styles gets in a bit of offense then he gets cut off with a spine buster back to the back injury and he's just flying all over the place for Lashley when the Miz and Ciampa come out this crowd starts chanting tiny balls and then Lashley knocks AJ off the apron to the floor Ciampa distracts Lashley as Miz goes to attack AJ on the floor when Dexter Loomis jumps Jumps the barricade and gets tackled by security. Now they had done a tease earlier in the night where there was there was a backstage segment where this mysterious hand appeared, and mm-hmm. that appears to be the the tie in here with Dexter Loomis. So I guess he can sneak backstage and he can also get uh, right up to the action as well before he's arrested. This this was crazy to me, John, because obviously, like I said, you know, I haven't been watching week to week. Uh, but I didn't even know Dexter Loomis was a part of this. So I'm thinking, like, yo, did somebody just sneak Corey Graves on live TV? Like, is this what we're doing? Because then they immediately cut to black. I was like, is this is this legit? And then they come back and talking about Dexter Loomis. I'm like, oh, ain't nobody here but you, Dexter Loomis. Uh, yeah, but this- I, I did like the small detail of Graves, uh, not Graves, uh, Saxton, 
like trying to warn Corey. Like even though all this abuse Corey's giving this man all night, they're still broadcast partners, John. Yeah, so the way they handled it is Dexter jumps the barricade and then he takes down the announcers and you're, you're seeing it's, it's just going quiet and then it cuts to black. It goes to commercial. And when they come back, Jimmy Smith does bring up it was Dexter Loomis who was escorted out and Graves cuts him off saying not to mention him. Don't give him the publicity. And they just move on from there. And that's the last they mention of Dexter Loomis. So I, I kind of it's. If if I was assembling this roster, I don't know if Dexter Loomis would be at the top of my list of someone I've got to bring back. Like, this is a role that is so specific that we need Sam Shaw for it that someone over the past year we have been building up at NXT could not fulfill. But they, they have brought this guy back, and I guess they are going to continue doing this kind of... Um, uh, you know, a, a role that certainly Dexter Loomis c- can fill as yeah. like this kind of um, character. That Again, certain- John, the, the, the TNA influence here tonight. It was, this, yes. This man had the glow up for Sam Shaw from drawing pictures of Christy Hemi in his mama's basement to showing up on Monday Night Raw. Just the progress, the growth. I'm proud of this man. Yeah, it's come so far from the gut check. Uh, Lashley then spears Miz on the floor during the break. Ciampa and Miz get ejected, so it's just back to these two. Styles slides under Lashley from the corner into a rack bomb, but then can't use the Styles clash. He gets uh, spun off the shoulders of Lashley. Styles avoids a spear, gets the calf crusher applied, and then Lashley gets out of the calf crusher by applying the hurt lock off of his back, and then Styles flips on top of him for a cover. I thought that was super cool. And then a phenomenal forearm misses, and Lashley spears him to win in 21 minutes and 46 seconds, the longest match on Raw since March. And, um, yeah, one of the lengthier matches, clean finish at the end, and I, I, I thought this this was really strong. I, I would say... You know, some people might give this the edge because it gave you a clean finish, which was the only negative to Drew and Owens. I thought that was the better match, but this gave you a finish. So, um, nonetheless, I I thought two really quality matches between those two on Raw and pretty much gave you like over 35, 36 minutes of wrestling between them. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match, John. And I think, you know... Just seeing kind of the different facets of Bobby Lashley, this was a good match for that. And I think AJ, uh, you know, helped him get to a great match where we saw the power. We saw some of the technical stuff on the ground. And then, you know, we see that explosion, you know, with the spear. I dug it. It's a combination I would not have thought, you know, to put together in the ring. But it really worked from two guys that have been doing this for a while. So I was pleased with it. And You know, we talk about Lashley a lot on the NWA podcast, and I think this U.S. title run for him has been surprisingly good, you know, particularly since he's in a babyface role without a mouthpiece. And I think, you know, so far he's been doing well with the role. Yeah, I I question that losing MVP, what that would mean for Lashley, but I think he's navigated it very, very effectively. And, you know, let's let's not like uh, discount the fact that, you know, these two 46 and 45 respectively. And, Mm. you know, they're they're wrestling. You know, this ain't I I don't think anyone's going to say like this is prime AJ of where he was, you know, 10 years ago. But God, he is still that upper tier of of guys that that you have. And I, I thought they did. You know, Lashley, you could certainly make the argument that he is enjoying the, the best run of his career. And he's had some very good ones over the last eight, nine years. Yeah. And speaking of AJ, because I do want to give AJ credit. Like, he did a, he did the damn thing in this match. Like, AJ, to me, 
might be my favorite wrestler of his era, of his generation, whatever, however you want to define it. Like he, he is from TNA to New Japan to here. He's been, uh, you know, my guy. I, I, I will watch AJ Styles do anything except for talk about politics, talk about, uh, geography and t- talking about vapes. Other than that, I'm watching anything AJ Styles does, John, outside of those three things. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and for uh, Bobby Lashley, I mean, he has a WrestleMania main event that uh, probably is not going to be referenced anytime soon e- either, mm. especially in, mm. in light of other news. So Dana Brooke and Dakota Kai followed that uh, very quick match here. 222. They explained the 24-7 title is not on the line. Jimmy Smith brings up that Dana is fighting for all the veterans. Corey says, what? Dakota has been <laughs> wrestling longer than Dana has. She's not wrestling for the veterans here. Dana's like not a veteran in comparison to her opponent. And he just would not allow this, this line to go unchecked. And I enjoyed Graves calling, calling her like Dana Brooke at her first match, like in 2014, I think. So, um, anyway, uh, we get Dakota Kai, not only with like the face wash and, uh, the Kawada kicks, but, uh, we get the Kawada mention here by Graves on top of it. Uh, Brooks holds on to the wrist going for short arm clotheslines. And then there's a handspring into the corner and Dana gets drilled into the buckle running Boot by Kai wins the match in two minutes, 22 seconds. Just short, um, not, not, not a whole lot to this one. Yeah, nothing special here. Just, you know, kind of keeping a focus on this new group. And you're right, John, they do need a name. Uh, but I really like Bailey and Kai and Sky and, and what they bring to the table. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them because, uh, because you know, they're going to win. I'm looking forward to them winning this tournament. And then hopefully we get that. Naomi Sasha confrontation because I think that match between those four women plus Bailey who's got history with Sasha like there's a lot of great storytelling you can get into if you're mapping things out for Sasha and Naomi I I would agree I think like bring them back together but do you see them staying together or like how how much of a tag run do they have do they have sort of an affiliation but they are they're also doing their own thing because Mm -hmm. I think they're both coming back bigger stars than they were prior so what you're asking, John, is when Sasha and Naomi return, will they have unity? Oh, that's that's I, true. This this goes deep, John. Team bad. So like they've got this connection. I think you bring them back as a unit uh, initially because that it, it makes all the do. sense to yes. bring them back together. Yes. Uh, you know, I I, th- I I wouldn't be surprised if you give them another run with the belt, but then you can have them branch off, but still be still be cool. Hmm. Next week in Toronto, which I will be in attendance for, Edge versus Damian Priest and Oscar and Alexa Bliss against Sky and Kai in the uh, continuation of the women's tournament. Main event is Theory and Dolph Ziggler. So uh, this match, it went 16 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, Theory controlled like 90% of it. And this match I felt, Nate. This, this was this was a yes. long one, and it just felt like the audience isn't quite into to theory to this degree where he's just dominating the match and just doing his, his power stuff and breaking down Dolph's uh, shoulder. And Ziggler, I mean, he got his hope spots in there, but I think that goes to your point you brought over. It's like Dolph being in that kind of main event babyface role, like that's that's a tough ask of your audience this late in the show that they're going to be living and dying by Dolph Ziggler's actions um, in this. I didn't feel that they were necessarily, you know, clamoring for Dolph Ziggler to, to pull one out here. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was it was longer than I felt it needed to be. Um, 
Dolph tried for a zigzag. It was avoided. Big Lariat by Theory and then avoids A-Town down and he hits the zigzag for a near fall. Picks up near the end. Ziggler is signaling for the super kick. It's caught and he tries to pin Ziggler using the rope. The referee catches him and then another zigzag attempt is caught on Theory's shoulders and he turns that into A-Town down in 16 minutes and 11 seconds. So as the Atlanta enthusiast, uh, Nate, uh, how did... uh, how did theory perform here and representing the ATL? Sadly for uh, brother theory, he was the only the second uh, best Atlanta representative tonight because the uh, Braves uh, put a hurting on those Mets. I don't know if the game's over, uh, but I know when I switched over, like they were beating down the Mets. So I'm, 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 I'm going to go to bed happy tonight, John. Uh, but this match much like you said, like they know, they, they can see the numbers. They know where the audience starts to decrease. So why are we going to put Lashley and AJ in that spot? Or why are we going to put KO and Drew in that spot? I think Theory is a guy that they still have high hopes for, but he's expendable in a way that we can put him in this spot where he is the main event, but we know he's not going to have the most eyeballs on him. Um Technically, there was nothing really wrong with the match, John. You know, it's good wrestling. Both of these guys. No, it was. Yeah, it was. I I wouldn't say it was um, inspiring, but like the, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. Like, yeah, you can you can appreciate it for for what it was. But you're right. Like, we don't care enough about Dolph in this babyface veteran role to care about him overcoming the odds of this young upstart. Yeah, I I do feel like obviously with theory. I think this 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 show it does tell you that after being off for a few weeks, you know, theory is very much you know in storyline tied to Vince McMahon, and I think that that makes it interesting of how they handle him on screen. Like it's almost as though this is representative of our previous regime and how you handle it. I would say from tonight's show, it looks like they very much are going to be moving full steam ahead with theory, but uh, he hasn't put it all together yet. He's still very young. So, I mean, that, that may come and, and working, you know, these longer matches and with different guys, that's going to hopefully um, speed that process up there. But it, it's, it's not a complete package yet with, with theory. And I feel that they, they are pushing him to, to be that finished package. I think what theory needs is, what we all need, John Pollock. He needs some one-on-one time with Cody Devontae Rhodes. Uh, and I'm only halfway joking because I think a feud between those two could actually get me invested in Austin Theory. Okay. Well, um, that I could think be... Cody could bring bring the best out of him. All right. Well, it's, uh, you got that Atlanta connection. So, yes. Uh, per- perhaps. Perhaps Co- Cody's, Cody's got a lot on his plate when he, uh, when he comes back. A lot of options uh, on on display for him when he when he returns uh but that was raw so this was a chance for you to really dive into some of the some of the changes we can see it's still very early i would say that that we're looking at this but you know some of the the takeaways i've had for these few weeks there definitely feels like there's more of an emphasis on in-ring matches that are going to be quality i think not not a hundred percent um you know success rate but by and large i think you're you're putting together matches that you know are going to be more satisfying for your audience there seems to be a lot more leniency when it comes to near falls for for matches and and going that direction elevation of the secondary belts and really emphasizing that i think those are some of the positives and in the case of like drew and owens like that felt like a fairly organic uh, promo segment, which um, that that's all you can ask for. That it, it has that feel attached to it. Those would be the positives. I I still see like there are 
you know, some of some of the tropes that I think are just embedded in kind of putting together WWE television that are just you're not going to be doing a 180 overnight and getting away from the way things were done prior. And it would be curious if someone that's just sort of living under a rock watching these shows, if those differences were evident or this feels like a natural uh, progression of where things were two months ago. I think I'm kind of in that middle space, John, because, you know, I haven't watched as intently as you and way uh, and some of the uh, postmarks, but I also haven't, you know, been living under a rock, you know, and so Coming into this show tonight and watching it basically from start to finish, I did notice a difference. You know, I noticed that it the show felt more coherent. Um, it felt, and this this might be a little bit too uh, broad of an analogy, but it felt like I was watching a wrestling show versus in previous months and years I was watching a variety show that happened to have wrestling. Like wrestling was kind of the focus here, and the stories. Behind, leading up to these matches were the focus here. And, you know, the women were being presented a bit better. Like, there's still some hokiness and, and still some stuff that I'm like, mm, yeah, that's, that's WWE for you. But as just a television experience, John, it's better than it has been. And that's, you know, it might, might sound like I'm damning it with faint praise, but if you're going to sit down and watch three hours of this show that really doesn't need to be three hours, you take what you can get. Well, that, that part is locked in. So, I mean, it's it, the yes. three hour format. I, I think this is the show that it's, it's, it's the toughest to really like, there's no getting around those three hours. So I, I, I do feel like it has been a much, a much better moving show these last couple of weeks. That, that does feel evident. And, and granted, I think you have an audience right now. Like you can see, like there is, there is an added engagement with, with WWE. I think there's, there are many who it's like, it's, they have never seen a WWE run by somebody else, yeah. and it's not on an interim basis. It's it's for the foreseeable future. It's, and- it's the same thing like all of these NFL teams fans are feeling right now, John. Before the regular season kicks off, it's hope. It's, you know, things can get better. This could be the year we win. You know, this could be the year our quarterback figures things out, and I think that's what the fans are feeling. It's like Jerry you know, Jones like, is gone. Jerry Jones is gone. The Cowboys might actually win this year. There you have it. All right. Um, we're going to do just a few pieces of feedback. Uh, we did get a super chat. PM Train sending in a super chat. Thank you very much, PM Train. Uh, Saeed from Vancouver writes, loving the picture in picture for the recaps. It's something fresh and lets us see the entrances. Uh, that's a question I have for you because up here in Canada, we don't get any of the picture in picture for Raw. Is that something that they uh, were doing a lot of tonight? Did you notice that? I noticed it like I didn't notice it any more than a W or, you know, watching a basketball game or football game. I noticed mm-hmm. it. And, I you know, if, if it's something new, then good for them. Uh, Said continues, I guess Alexa without the Lily doll was only for a week as I see it was back with her. <laughs> Match of the night was uh, Kevin Owens against Drew McIntyre until the bloodline got involved. The backstage Easter eggs are worth making are worth it if you pay attention, which is always a plus. Some are harder to see and some are more in your face. Uh, all right. Well, th- there was there was the glove. There was the fire going on. Um and I, I don't know if there were others that uh, people can point out if they uh, if they caught any. Giving Lashley and AJ 22 minutes on Raw was really nice to see. Four out of five. Good to see you, Brother Nate. 
So there you have it. It's good to be seen. You're popular in Vancouver. And then uh, her niece from New York City. Nice to hear humans and not robots during the Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre segment. WWE seems to be booking themselves in a corner with the Usos and Drew. Either it's the guy you're telling us can beat Reigns or the double tag champions. But one side keeps coming out looking weak. Dexter, Miz, and Ciampa being involved just didn't do it for me. It took me out of the match, and it seemed to do the same for the crowd. Miz and Ciampa just disappeared after the commercial break. They did explain that after, that they were ejected, but that happened during the break. Uh, weird that they closed with Theory and Ziggler. Gave them a lot of time. Just weird because they seemed to pick the storyline back up after Ziggler was doing his own thing, going after the U.S. title and Chad Gable. This is best for tomorrow's show with Brandon, but i love to see... How Vince McMahon loves to talk in the third person. The resignation of Vincent K. McMahon could adversely affect our ability to create popular characters and creative storylines. Okay, this this is a line that's in the the 10Q filing, which is something that is always in a lot of their... their past uh, SEC filings is listing um, this, you know, if our chairman were to leave, we could have uh, potential issues. It's it's more kind of like boilerplate language. But this time around, since he's gone, people are paying a bit more uh, attention to that. But anyway, we will we will talk about all this stuff with uh, Brandon Thurston uh, tomorrow. So uh, look out on Tuesday at postwrestling.com. We will have a G1 Climax show for all Post Wrestling Cafe members with myself and Mike Murray. Then Brandon Thurston on the free feed with me later in the day going through all of the second quarter earnings and the big call with all of the media analysts where I'm sure Vince McMahon will be the uh, the, the heavy topic. And we will see how many times the answer, uh, the investigation is ongoing and we cannot comment is used on, on that call. But I, I would imagine that's going to be the source of Pretty much all of the questions, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think, Nate? Do you do you think it's yeah. it's going to be interesting how WWE tries to navigate that because they want to be projecting towards the future and everything right. that they have, and you're going to have a lot of people that are talking about the outgoing chairman of the company. Right. Um, so it's 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 going to be, I think, diametrically opposed. And it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Like you want to be transparent, but you also kind of want people to move on. Yes. And how do those two differing viewpoints align? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, will be very interesting, but that that call is happening at 8.30 a.m. in the morning. So for Ooh. folks on the West Coast, <laughs> uh, you can read about it after. I mean, they are... Better you than me, John. Better you than me. This is a, an interesting time start for uh, the, this, this earnings call. <laughs> all right, so that's all dropping on Tuesday. And then again, this week, MCU Later and the Wellness Policy on Thursday. Uh, we've got three G1 shows, Rewind to SmackDown on Friday for patrons, and then a UFC 278 post-show Saturday night and the NWA podcast coming up this Sunday with Chris Ely, Andrew Thompson, and of course, Nate Milton. So look out for that. They will be live on the Post YouTube channel. Uh, any idea, any uh, any of the topics that are uh, percolating for uh, this month's uh, discussion? Uh, Be- besides we- Omos and the state of yeah. uh, the individual uh, post yeah. uh, Vince McMahon. Because that's the thing. Like We know with now that Triple H is running things, we are, we are moving into the Omos era. And Chris just needs to prepare himself, get his mind, his body, and his soul ready. Uh, cause this is, this is the season. This is the year of the Homo sapiens. And we will, uh, be talking about Omos on the, on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure we're probably going to, uh, get into a little bit about Jonathan Gresham, uh, on the show. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about Sasha and Naomi, like whatever's kind of percolating. Also, you know, like I said, we might have a guest on too. So that could kind of steer where the topic goes. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we're going live. We're looking forward to it. Myself, nephew Andrew, and, uh, 
Moderna Chris, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a good time. So we hope I feel like Chris just builds up for the month. He needs he needs the yes. four weeks to get it all up to a boiling point, And then, boom, he just uh, let, you, lets you it don't, flow. You don't waste Chris Ely on house shows, John Pollock. You save him for those big-time events. Yes, he is our Roman Reigns. He uh, he comes out <laughs> once a month, and it is definitely worth, worth the price of admission. So uh, I look forward to that. Always one of my favorite shows uh, to catch here on the network. So that's going to wrap it up, everybody. Thank you to everybody that joined us live in the, uh, in the chat tonight or downloaded the show after. Uh, we're back in several hours. We'll have uh, plenty coming your way on Tuesday, and that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind a Raw. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.